Well, it's good to see you again. I wish you were here instead of there, but uh, we don't uh, get to choose that now, do we? Um, I can tell you this much. Uh, the sanctuary <laughs> looks marvelous. It even smells good. Um, the carpet has been replaced and everything is back in place. So when you finally do come, uh, or when we're finally allowed to come, um, you'll be greeted with a, a whole new looking sanctuary, and I, I'm looking forward to that day. Now, uh, grab your Bibles and open them with me to um, Psalm 94. Psalm 94, and let me, um, let me read you just a portion of the psalm. We won't read the whole thing. We're going to start at verse 12, and we're going to read through verse 19. So you follow as I read from Psalm 94, beginning at verse 12. It reads like this. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this endures forever. Guys, this is a very odd place to go, that is, uh, the psalm, is an odd place to go to try and comfort God's people. The, the reason I say that is because if, well, I didn't read the first 12 verses, but the, the first half of this psalm is what we call imprecation. You've heard of the imprecatory psalms, have you not? Uh, the, the imprecation included in these psalms. Well, let, let me just show you. Look at verse 2 of, of Psalm 94. The psalmist says, Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. You see that. That's called imprecation. That is that the psalmist is praying that God would judge his enemies. Now, I make this distinction. This is not revenge. Um, and I say that for this reason. You notice that the psalmist is asking God to do this. He realizes that um, executing justice is not his prerogative. That that prerogative belongs in the hands of God and God alone. I'm simply pointing out that this is a rather odd place to go. Uh, for to try and find some comfort for us all. But this is what brought me to the psalm. It seemed to me that at verse 12, the psalm pivots. It turns. It, it, it moves in a different direction. It's, it's as if 
the psalmist is is wrestling with his own animosities um, towards the wicked. And you notice in, in what I read, he mentions the wicked a couple of times. But he is wrestling um, with some, some thoughts he doesn't necessarily like. He's, um, he's trying to reason his way through this, this, um, this tempest that has been going on in his own mind about the wicked. Um, and, and so what you find in these, after the psalm turns, is a man who is wrestling with his thoughts about a particular subject. In this case, it's the wicked. Folks, um, godly people are thoughtful people. Christianity is not the death of thinking. It's the, it's the sanctification of thinking. You've heard the text, I'm sure, um, the text about uh, as a man thinketh, so is he? Well, y- yes, it's thinking that is the foundation and the formation of character. And in this instance, Psalm 94, the psalmist is getting himself into some trouble because of his thinking. Um, y- y- you notice in, v- in verse 18, he says, when I thought... Um, or, and then even in, um, in verse 19, it says, when the cares of my heart, I want to suggest to you that those are basically the same thing that the psalmist is described. When I thought, when the cares of my heart, th- those two things are, he's, he's saying the same thing. There is a battle that is going on inside him. And the battle is something that has to do with his thinking and his thought life. Folks, what you then find in this, actually, verses 18 and 19, is that in the second half of both of those verses, the psalmist begins to give you, let's call it counsel. He begins to give you some direction. He begins to tell you how it is that he is sorting this all out in his own mind. Now, hear me, folks, the occasion uh, for this psalm is the psalmist dealing with the existence and the presence of the wicked, but the battle is going on in his mind. Our situation is not about the wicked. The occasion for us has to do with a virus. But the battle is going on in the mind. You see, the the similarity of Psalm 94 in our situation is not the wicked, the presence and the existence and the uh, life of the wicked, and when God is going to judge them. That's not the occasion for our, our situation. We have another occasion. But the battle which is so often the case, ladies and gentlemen. The battle is one that is going on internally. Um, Whereas our occasions, the psalmist and I, they differ. I would suggest to you that the battle is very similar. 
It's a, it's a battle that's being waged in our thoughts. <laughs> you know, guys, um, it's almost comical. God doesn't need to go very far in arousing our slumbering souls, now does he? In, in the millions of thoughts that we think per day, all he has to do is drop into those millions of thoughts uh, a fearful one or a troubling one or an upsetting one or an arresting one. And when he does, those few thoughts produces a great tempest in our minds. And we feel like the psalmist. Did you notice it in verse 18? He says, when I thought my foot slips. I'm on the brink of slipping. As a result of the thoughts that I'm having. My foot slips. Oh, brother and sister, for so many of us, and I would even say for all of us, the big battle that rages right now is the one that's going on in our thought life. If there is no peace there, it doesn't matter what the conditions are on the outside. You know, there is a legend about Alexander the Great. Uh, it, it is said that Alexander the Great wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. <laughs> Everything on the outside of him was conquered under his control. But he was torn up on the inside. Because, and, and folks, I really don't need to convince you of this. You already know it. Things can be grand on the outside. But if they're not grand on the inside, it doesn't matter how grand they are on the outside. And, and on the other hand, there can be abject calamity on the outside. But that calamity may be met with the sweetest of peace and, and restfulness. Guys, we can create our own hell in our thought life. Or we can arrive at some peace. My mind can be the cesspool of misery or it can be the sweet pool of peace. And, and I, don't, I really don't think I need to convince you of that. I think you know that already. We know that the real issue in terms of peace and rest is something that goes on on the inside, not the outside. 
So, with that said, walk with me, brother and sister. Walk with me through some divine counsel, some divine help for our present crisis given to us by a man who very candidly admits that he's full of care, that, is, that he's almost slipping, and, and watch him, let's watch him and learn from him as he dealt with his. Now let's start like this. Notice in verse 18 it says, my foot slips. Um, he is describing his mental state. And his mental state is something like, I can't take this anymore. Or, I'm not going to make it. Or, I'm out of gas. Or, there's no way out. Or, this is too much for me. No matter how you would like to say it, no matter what kind of words you would like to use, when you get here, that is, to the spot where you feel like you're about to slip, the fear is tripled. My life, over which just recently I thought I had so much control, has just spun out of control. So, feeling that sense of instability and almost slipping, I'm tempted to turn to, or perhaps let's say, return to methods of coping that will only worsen my situation. There were days in my past that when I felt something similar to this, I would turn to certain remedies. But if I do that, my situation will get worse, not better. So guys, if you're convinced of that much, that is, that those other methods of coping are simply going to worsen my situation, but you're still thinking that, yeah, I might say it differently than the psalmist said it. He uses words, my foot slips, and you're using language like, I can't take any more of this. If you're, if, if, if you're there, or close, then listen to this psalmist as he instructs us as to how he regained some emotional and, and spiritual equilibrium. He's going to tell us some things about how he got there and how we might get to that place of equilibrium once again. 
there are two things that I want you to see about his counsel to us. And as I said earlier, they're in the second half of both of the verses. Call them the B part of the verses, like 18B and 19B. He tells you about his mental state in the, in the first half of the verse, um, 18A, 19A. Then he tells you, then he gives you counsel in 18B and 19B. There's two things. Look first at, nine, at 18. When I thought my foot slips, here's the counsel. Your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. <laughs> Folks, don't you, see, don't you see this held me up? Him even saying that shows you that he's, that he's wobbling, he's teetering. And what is it that held him up? It was his steadfast love. Now, gang, that Hebrew word is the word chesed. I have, I have told you that 25 times. It's, it's one of the richest of all Old Testament words because it is not simply describing love. It is describing steadfast love. A love that held me. It wasn't me holding tight to him. It was him holding tight to me. The, the, um, the psalmist who is... He's, he's convinced... That the place that he's got to start in regaining his equilibrium is by going back to the place where his spiritual life began. It all began by discovering a God who did everything necessary for a guilty party like me to return to him. He, he goes back to the place where he remembers how it was that God reconciled himself to him. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the world is craving some good news right about now. Well, I've got some, and here it is. The God that you offended, the God before whom you will stand, is the very same God who has, who has made provision, every piece of provision necessary to restore you unto himself. The love that this God has is not a fickle love or a vacillating love or a temporary love. No, no. It is chesed. It is steadfast love. And though, ladies and gentlemen, I don't love like that. And not only that, I have given God more than enough a reason to walk away from me, to divorce me. But he hasn't. And he won't. And the reason that he won't is because of grace. By that I mean this. The reason that he won't walk away from me or the reasons that he won't walk away from me are found in him, not in me.
the reasons that he won't discard me is not to be found in things that I have done. It is to be found bound up in his own character. One piece of that character is on display here. Chesed. Steadfast love. He's not going to give up on me. Not because I'm such a good boy or such a prize. He is not going to give up on me because he is a God of steadfast love. You see, that's what the psalmist says is the first step in his returning to equilibrium. Remembering my eternal safety based on who God is supplies me a little bit of instability under my wobbly legs as I think I'm about to slip. One of the things that reduces the wobbling is the remembering of steadfast love. You know, guys, um, the consummate statement of chesed in the Bible is found in the New Testament, really, in my mind. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, when God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He ought to. I've given him plenty of reason to. But he won't. Because of who he is, not because of who I am. You know, um, one of the heroes around here at Gracie Van is a guy by the name of Martin Luther. You know, the, um, the man who's given credit as the, uh, the author or the, the, the beginner of the Protestant Reformation. Luther had a favorite psalm. And his favorite psalm was Psalm 118. Now, everybody knows Psalm 118. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> we, there's not a whole lot of preaching going on in Psalm 118. The only thing we know about it is that it comes before 119, and 119 is that real long one with 176 verses, and I ain't reading that one. But Psalm 118 was Luther's favorite psalm. Why? If you've got a Bible and you can get it open real quick, let me show you. Um, Look at Psalm 118. Stay with me. Verse 1. For his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 2. His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 3. His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 4. His steadfast love endures forever. Closes the psalm in verse 29. His steadfast love endures forever. You know what the psalm is about? It's about chesed. It's about steadfast love. And ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, people who can be honest with their sin... And stop drinking the cultural Kool-Aid that man is good. If you are honest about your sin, then one of the things that you want to hear the most is that not only that God is love, but that God is steadfast love, loyal love. It's not a temporary love. He doesn't love me and then take it back. 
What I'm suggesting, brother and sister, is that's the place that this psalmist starts when he is so wobbly spiritually. That's the first piece of counsel. Here's the second. It's in the B part of 19. Um, Verse 19 says, When the cares of my heart are many. Oh, I mean, you know what he's describing? It's, It's, I guess... It's got a hint of depression in it. When the cares of my heart are many. Um, when I get there, you know, you know, I just said about my foot almost slipped, but now I'm describing it. When the cares of my heart are, are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Guys, I, I got to tell you this. This word cheer uh, in the Hebrew, it has the word of dancing. It, 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 it has it, this embedded in the word the idea of dancing. So your consolations make me dance. Your consolation turns me into a dancing soul. In all of these consolate, in all of these troubles, all of these cares that are flooding my mind. I found cheer. Where'd you find it? I found it in his consolations. Now, before I mention some of those consolations specifically, could I I just say something which is somewhat of a tangent? Um, Guys, why are we such strangers to the consolations of the scriptures? Well, at least part of the reason is that we've neglected them, haven't we? We've neglected his word, we've neglected our souls for years. And now my foot slips. I think the first thing that we have to do is tell God how sorry we are for that neglect. And then let's commit ourselves together, guys, to spend the rest of our lives feeding off of these consolations. Okay, enough of the rebuke. Let's go back to the consolations. Consolations, what are they? Well, folks, those are the comforts that are extended to us from the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. When the Comforter opens his word and... and, and illumines our minds to understand it and grasp it it's that tender care that comes from seeing something that God has said to me or promised me let me warn you do not try to look within for comfort no no don't do that we go here and import these consolations into our soul now, gang, I've already given you one of those consolations, that Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. There's a consolation. But I have to tell you, guys, if I had a hundred mouths, and I'm sure you're glad I don't, but if I had a hundred mouths, a thousand mouths, I couldn't tell you all of the consolations that are, that are contained here. You know, we sing that song, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My, if I had a thousand tongues... I couldn't tell you enough about these consolations. 
that set my soul to dancing. Let me mention four. Here's the first one. Right, you might want to write these four down. First Corinthians 10.13. Folks, when I became a Christian, as a new Christian, I was uh, 22 years old, and I was working, working for Procter & Gamble and living in South Florida. And my, my territory was South Florida. I, I included Miami Beach. And so I was wrestling with all of the temptations of watching people uh, enjoying sun and sand on South Beach. I guess you can figure that out. But, but anyway, um, I called a friend of mine who was a pastor and I said, you know, you got to help me. So I was telling him about all these temptations and, and so he, he pointed me to this text, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He told me to memorize it. I had it memorized before I drove home that day. And my brother and sister in Christ, you should commit this to memory as well, I think. It goes like this. There hath no temptation taken you. By the way, the word temptation can also be translated testing. I think you know that. Well, let me do it again. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with it also make a way to escape that you are able to bear it. So my brother and sister, those of you who have wobbly legs right now and think, I can't take any more of this. God has promised you. He has promised you. He will not allow you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape such that you are able to bear it. Gang, don't look at the situation. Look for the way of escape because it's there. It's always been there. And that is one of his consolations to us. Here's a second one. This is in Matthew 6. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And at least half of Matthew 6 we seem to know and love and, and turn to it often. Uh, because it begins like this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or your body or what you will put on, et cetera, et cetera. We know that part. We like that. Um, but that's, um, that's a whole lot easier said than done, isn't it? Just being told to not be anxious. But, but folks, have you read the whole paragraph? Because I just read you um, verse uh, 25. I want to point you to verse 32. Because it says in verse 32, um, your father knows that you need them all. Oh, wait a minute. I misread that. It doesn't say father. It says your heavenly father. Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Folks, the concept of father is a concept of, um, that implies protection and provision and, and family and discipline. And I know that some of you cannot relate to a father image because you had such a poor one. A father that perhaps abused you or, or whatever. But this doesn't simply say father, it says heavenly father. My heavenly father. 
And in him there is protection and provision and family and discipline. And my heavenly father knows that I need all those things. That's a consolation. Here's the third one. It's found in Psalm 119, you know, the one that nobody wants to read because it's too long. Oh, it's a rich psalm, guys. Uh, Devote a week to it, but it's a wonderful psalm. Psalm 119, verse 67 says this. Listen. The psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. (laughs) You know, um, Back when, uh, you know, during those days of prosperity, when everything seemed to be going my way, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But not now, I keep your word. But listen to this. He adds this in verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. This is good for us. Perhaps it'll wean us off of the foolishnesses to which we have committed ourselves over the years. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but not anymore. And you know what? Says the psalmist, it was good that I was afflicted because now I keep your word. Folks, affliction is a good thing when it produces treasures like these. You know, I remember in one particularly dark night of my soul, I, um, I found a, a quote from A.W. Tozer. And uh, Tozer says this, rarely does God use a man significantly until he hurts him deeply. Rarely does God ever use a man significantly until he hurts him deeply. Guys, I'm not sure God's going to use us, me, you. I don't, I'm not sure of that, but I know this. That God, out of steadfast love, hurts his children deeply so that they will keep his word. And here's the, fi- the, f- the fourth and final one. It's kind of the gold standard of all of the consolations in the scriptures. It's Romans 8, 28. Um, that's another one, by the way, that you need to memorize, which says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. We know that all things, the good ones and the bad ones, they all work together for good to them who are the, who love God and are the called according to his purpose. My brother and sister in Christ, if you live inside that massive promise Your life takes on a stability to it. Now I want you to notice, it is only addressed to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If that is not you, you cannot have this promise. But if you are a child of God, this promise is for you. Another consolation. And you know, when I've got a whole lot of care and they multiply inside of my tempestuous mind, the thing that brings me cheer is your consolations.
There they are. There's five of them. Might they bring some quietude to your troubled minds? Now let me close. Um, our current president is being called a, um, a wartime president. And uh, I'll have to let you figure out whether you agree with that or not. Um, I, 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 I can't speak, I, not that I can't speak about it, I don't want to speak about it, but I'll let you decide whether you think he is or isn't. But I can say this much. We're in a fight, aren't we? We are in a fight. Globally, nationally, locally, church-wide. There has been a thunderclap heard around the world. Have you heard it? I think it says something like, God will not be mocked. But I might be wrong about that. It might be saying something else. But there's been a thunderclap. My question to you is, what will you do with it? I said a moment ago that we're in a fight, but we haven't had to do much of that as a Christian, have we? In our Christian experience, we've never had to fight very much. Now have we? But we are now. One of Paul's favorite, the Apostle Paul's favorites was Timothy. He writes him a couple letters, and in the first letter that he writes to Timothy in chapter 6, verse 12, he says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Well, how do you do that? Okay, I, I, I get it. How do, we, how do we fight the good fight of faith? You fight them with this countless number of consolations that are contained in this book that will change the way you think. Folks, the gospel excites thoughts. Good thoughts, healthy thoughts, peaceful thoughts. But that's where the battle is raging, isn't it? And it's his consolations that will cause you rest. In all of this dark time, run home. Run to the place where there's safety and shelter and comfort. And the way to that place is through Jesus Christ who alone can reconcile you to the Heavenly Father. Go to Him. Now. Let's pray. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will use your word to bring a sense of serenity to the souls of your people. Would you help them, O oh God, as they're wrestling with things that they never dreamed that they'd be wrestling with? Would you remind them that your word is not just for Sunday school lessons, it is the thing on which we must build our lives from start to finish? Father, if you brought anyone to view this service who has not yet met our Savior, would you remind them that you are not mocked, 
and that what they, this, these people who were without Christ need more than, more than another trip to the grocery store, what they need is a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Do that, O oh God. Do it a lot. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you for tuning in. Trust that um, there has been enough here to fatten your soul. Um, but if you need us, we can be reached on our website or at 756-7444. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.